0: It's overtime. Look at the big push by the 42. Larson went up and hit the 12 guard. who it in front for the floor.
1: It Advantage Lighty.
2: Here comes Harvick. And he clears him easily. Wow. That's huge. How not even close. White flag in the air, one more time around in Texas. Kevin Harvick. Putting together one of the greatest
0: seasons of his life. A secured spot in the championship board.
3: Welcome to NASCAR America, presented by Mobile One. In studio alongside Nate Ryan and joining us from Burton's Garage, the man who pays the bills there, the mayor, Jeff Burton. Jeff, the weekend began with Slurpees and ended with selfies. Would you have predicted those headlines?
1: Well, I was with Kyle Petty and Eddie Gossage on, on uh, Friday morning. So, yeah, when you get those two <laughs> together, you can pretty much expect anything. That was the Slurpee part of it. And then, you know, the rest of the weekend was just crazy. All kinds of things happening Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And, of course, a great race on Sunday. A great finish on Sunday afternoon with a great battle between Blaney and Harvick.
4: Yeah, a photo finish as it was. Maybe not the photo finish we normally expect, but this was a photo finish at Texas. Very
3: clever. one. people remember. We're going to get into Slurpees in just a bit and an update on the water cooler topic following Sunday's race. But first, Rutledge Wood was the first to talk to Harvick following the win in the burnout interview.
2: You know, really, really proud of everybody at Stuart Haas Racing for... These cars that we've had really for five years now. Just got to thank everybody from Mobile One and Ford, uh, everybody from uh, Bush Beer, Hunt Brothers Pizza, Jimmy John's, everybody who helps us on this thing, and really everybody at the shop has just been working day after day to try to make speed, and, and this place has been really good to me. I'm glad we got to win again here. We finally knocked that barrier down to win in front of all these fans at Texas. So thank you, guys. to have a year like this to
5: pick up win number eight and a shot at that championship the relief must be huge to know that you can go to homestead with a shot at it and you don't have to worry about trying to make it in next weekend
2: well the expectations are to win um it's like i told you guys before the race we don't race for points we race for wins Uh, we don't come here to count our fingers and and toes to try to figure out how we're going to make it we want to earn it and uh, today we we earned our way in and we're going to go and race again next week and try to win another race and, and see what we can do in Homestead. Congratulations buddy, we'll see you in victory lane. Thank you. There's your winner, Kevin Harvick.
3: And if you missed the moment everyone is talking about, it happened when Harvick, one of the toughest racers you'll meet, spotted a young man in the stands. He wanted Harvick's picture. Kevin said, yeah kid, I'll take a pick, but we're gonna take it on the track with my race winning car in the background. What did you guys think when this was happening, Jeff?
1: I just thought that was so cool. You know, I've been I've been uh, at Panther Stadium before when Cam Newton takes football and gives it to a young kid, uh, and that's what this has turned into. I love how the drivers have picked out a kid in the stands, done something cool with them. Kevin Harvick taking that kid on the racetrack. The first thing I thought about was when he goes to school on Monday morning with that phone and the picture <laughs> in that phone, he's the winner. I don't care what anybody else did all weekend long. He won the contest. Great weekend, that was just so cool to see.
3: Well, that kid, Joel Cram III, was then returned to his parents, as you saw, and then a few moments later, Nate, Harvick went back over to give him the checkered flag.
4: Yeah, that's pretty cool. Like Jeff said, this was sort of next level. We've seen this happen before, we've seen drivers give their checkered flag to younger fans on the other side of the stands, but we haven't seen them take selfies, and this reminds me a little bit of when um, Kevin Harvick put Keelan in his car after his win in yeah. Michigan.
3: Well, I spoke with Joel's mom, Carrie, today. She said when Joel got back to the grandstands, his eyes were huge, and he spent the hour ride home looking at all the pictures on his phone. They're all big NASCAR fans. And while Texas is their home, she said she and her husband try to take Joel to a new track each year. They've been to Vegas, Phoenix, Fontana, Dover, and Kansas. This past weekend, they were at the truck and Xfinity races too, even went to the Hall of Fame event Saturday because Carl Edwards was and I say was Joel's favorite driver. Carrie uh, told me today he's now shopping for a Harvick hat.
4: Explains the heiress hat. Now, now you we do, know why you he not You your noticed hat. that, yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they got to, to, got to hang out with Carl a little bit. I didn't ask if he took a she took a, or if he took a selfie with Carl, but definitely that selfie with Kevin. And yeah, uh, she did say went to school and um, thought you know was going everybody was going to talk to him at school about that. So That's pretty cool, really cool. Uh, and if you Google Kevin Harvick's selfie kid, Nate, sites like. Inside Sports News, Sports Glue, and latino.nascar.com. they are just a few of the ones that are popping up. Why is this a moment?
4: I I think, Krista, because it shows us the relatable side of drivers, which we don't often get to see, especially with Kevin Harvick. I mean, generally when Harvick does interviews, he comes off a little bit brusque. He's not somebody you would think would have a lot of empathy necessarily toward other people or be thinking about anything but his race car. He's very tunnel vision. That's what makes him such a successful champion. But... I, he's also a father of two, and we've seen the fact that he has these kids in his life change him uh, in a in a personal way that has bled over to the professional side a little bit over the last six years. The longest answer he gave during his media center interview, Krista, was about the fact that he loves signing autographs for kids, and about how he likes reinforcing the values that parents teach at home by if they have good manners and approach him for an autograph and say yes or no, sir. He signs that autograph because he knows from having his own kids at home, that it, it, it makes a difference when you set those examples. And I think that's just a side of Kevin Harvick we don't always see, and I think that's why so many people caught on to that.
1: Yeah, Chris, I, I think that it's, you know, for people that don't go to the racetrack, uh, I don't think they realize how many kids are there and, and how many young people are at the racetrack. And uh, young people bring enthusiasm, they bring excitement. And if, you know, the more young people are involved in the sport, the more the parents are involved in the sport. so. You know, it's it's just so much fun to see uh, the race car drivers, and we, we are blessed. We have great uh, personalities in this sport that care about the sport, that love seeing the, the fans in the grandstands, that, that love seeing kids in the grandstands, and this was just an example of Kevin having an opportunity to pick one out, you know, and, and bring out on the racetrack. I mean, it's just, that was such a cool idea and spontaneous, and uh, it's those kind of things that make kids want to go to the racetrack. And... and and, you know, I'm just so cool. It was so cool to see it. And that, that look in that kid's eyes, like, what is going on here? I'm sure the parents are <laughs> like, where are you taking my kid? Uh, and I heard Kevin say he thought about putting him in the car and driving off with him, but he didn't know how he'd get the, kids and the, the kid and the parents back together. So uh, just a lot of fun. It was a fun moment to see after a very, very intense race. Um, I, I think that's what strikes me, too, is that, you know, you know, Nate just mentioned it. Drivers and, and athletes, they're tunnel vision. I mean, This guy just got out of the race car, just had to make an incredible move to get back by Ryan Blaney, uh, you know, just minutes before. And now here he is celebrating and taking time to realize that there's something bigger in the world than just his win. And I think that's what's pretty cool as well.
3: Yeah, and I asked Carrie about that, being a parent. Like, wait, were you worried? And she said the security, everyone, uh, Texas Motor Speedway security was great. And Joel is 14. He looks a lot younger than he is. So she said she knew he'd be fine. He's a huge fan. I love that they were there for both the truck and Xfinity races, too. Uh, Fans for life. Um, So, yeah, really cool moment. But, of course, Harvick's domination on the track was another story. We know one of the big three is moving on. But now, will the open spots go to the other two? Both Martin Truex Jr. and Kyle Busch had to fight their way back from penalties and loose wheels in Texas.
5: Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm just glad I don't have a points-as-they-run monitor in the, in the car because it would just drive you absolutely bonkers. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, overall, I guess it was a decent day. Uh, we had a lot to battle through, obviously, starting in the back and overcoming that and then, um, you know, the loose wheel and then my stupid mistake. Which I've never done since
0: they brought that rule in, and
5: just uh, just one of them things. So
0: driving through too many boxes.
5: Yeah, th- yeah. I mean, just a few feet of that one, and I, I knew when I turned in, it didn't feel right, and it just there was all those shadows with the sunset going down, and everything, and I just I just messed up.
3: And after Kyle Busch found trouble, his wife Samantha braced for a long day on the pit box, going, "Well, I'm just gonna close my eyes and hold my breath the rest of the race." So Jeff, have the big three officially disbanded. What's going on right now?
1: <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what's going on. I, I, I do not see the speed from the 18 car that we saw earlier in the year. Um, you know, I don't know. It looks like to me they're off just a touch. Uh, I don't, I'm not sitting there saying they can't win the championship. I'm not saying that. But I just feel like uh, the 18's a little bit off. Uh, the 78, although, you know, very, very close to winning the Roval, very, very close to winning Martinsville. In good position to win races. I don't feel like he has had the speed on the on the the mile, mile and a half racetracks. Uh by the way, that's what Miami is. Uh so I I don't know. I, I think Kevin has really become the favorite. Uh to me he is dominated with speed. I'm not saying he's dominated races, but some of those some of those things have been their fault on top of that. But I just think when I look at it, I just don't know how you know, how are they going to slow Kevin Harvick and his team down? I just think they're the fastest. I think that right now, uh, and I don't think much will change for me uh, to change my opinion going into Miami, I think Kevin Harvick is now the favorite. Uh, I think he's the clear-cut favorite. Uh, and I would even go so far to say that maybe Joey Logano is second uh, ahead of Truex and ahead of Kyle Busch because of how well they ran this weekend and that pit crew that Joey that uh, Joey Logano has, so I don't know. I, I don't. I'm not counting them out, but I just think that Kevin Harvick is now the the heads on favorite.
4: Yeah, I agree with you, Jeff. I think he absolutely is the favorite based off just the fact that, like you said, Texas mile and a half, Homestead Miami Speedway mile and a half, and when you look at the rest of the big three. Truex and uh, Kyle Busch weren't very good Sunday for much of the race. And I mean, Jeff's right. We go back to the interview that we did with Adam Stevens, Kyle Busch's crew chief, last week. He said there was a lot of anticipation about Texas to see where they were going to stack up. And I think now we know, and it's it's not very good. I mean, and that coupled with the fact that Bush and Truex haven't locked in to the championship round, that's going to delay them from being able to fully put their emphasis on Miami for at least another week. Uh, I thought Truex said some very interesting things in his post-race interview with us about how, you know, he's wondering if he should pull up Brad Keselowski, making reference to the fact that at this time last year, it was the Fords, the shoe was on the other foot, and Brad Keselowski was saying, we can't race with the Toyotas. Well, the narrative seems to have completely flipped in 2018, where you have the two Ford drivers Joey Logano and Kevin Harvick going into Miami, I think as one and two, Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr.'s last year's one-two finishers in the championship race, probably maybe going to get to Miami as three-four, but the Toyotas clearly right now are at a disadvantage to the Fords.
3: So no question, I mean, we only have one more week to talk about it. I mean, after Phoenix, we're going to know exactly kind of who's going into that championship for. Before we move on, uh, I do want to point out that there is a new tradition. Um, you get the 10-gallon the hat, the Charlie One Horse hat, you get the six shooters. Jeff, you get a Slurpee now when you win. There was a tweet that uh, Kevin Harvick and the track Eddie Gossage put out. That's a new tradition. You didn't have that back in 1997.
1: <laughs> well, I had the guns and the, and the big hat, so I wonder if you get the guns, the big hat, and a Slurpee. Yes. I wonder if they just keep adding to Victory Lane. That's a possibility. Yeah. Bear Claw, right? I think Bear Claw is on the list. Lottery <laughs> tickets <laughs> and a Bear Claw. That's a great Sunday morning purchase at that you,
3: Speedway 7 Eleven.
1: Just saying.
3: Yeah, really cool. They added that for the, the campers and everybody who's there at Texas Motor Speedway. So it was a big hit this weekend. All right, coming up, Joey Logano does not seem to be making friends on his way to Miami. We'll see what happened between Joey and and Eric Almarola. and was this just the case of hard racing? We will discuss. Jimmy Johnson was involved in one of Sunday's more bizarre storylines. How did it go down and what is NASCAR doing to make sure it doesn't happen again? Chase Elliott remains below the cut line. He's not thrilled about the repave at Texas. We'll hear from him and his crew chief Alan Gustafson. Cole Custer secured a spot in the Xfinity Series championship race with his win at Texas. How much credit is he giving Kevin Harvick for that?
0: NASCAR America is brought to you by Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for 20,000 miles.
3: Sunday night, all eyes will be on Philadelphia as the Super Bowl champs renew their rivalry with America's team. Dak Prescott and the Cowboys square off against Carson Wentz and the Eagles. Football Night in America is at 7 Eastern with kickoff at 820. Sunday night only on NBC. Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr. hold the two remaining spots in the championship four, but they are separated by just three points. That means the two champions could be racing each other next weekend for the last spot at Miami if any of the bottom four drivers wins. Well, one of the guys trying to do just that is Eric Almarola. He had a good finish Sunday, eighth, but feels like it could have been better and would have been if Joey Logano wasn't racing him so hard.
0: Yeah,
6: already won a damn race. Dumb. He's an idiot. He's already going to Homestead and he wants to race me like that. That some won't get a break at all from me when we get to Homestead, I guarantee you that. I don't care if we're racing for a championship or not. We worked diligently all day to get up to the front and finally got ourselves in position to at least have a shot and race uh, you know, with those guys. And the 22 just went down in turn three and, and put it right on my door and about wrecked us both. So. I'm not sure. I'll, I'll have to talk to him, but uh, he just continues uh, to make things harder on himself. Uh, if that's the way he wants to race me when he's already locked into Homestead and we're out here fighting for our lives, that's fine. Um, when Homestead comes around, if I'm not in, uh, he'll know it.
2: He will. Yeah, we heard how upset you were with him, Eric. When you say he'll know it, I mean, how far would you take it?
6: I uh, Just make it really difficult on him. Uh, he made it obviously really difficult on me today. Um, which was really unnecessary. He could have run fourth, fifth, eleventh. It wouldn't have mattered. Uh, he's still going to go to Homestead and race for a championship. It's just not smart.
2: Well How motivated are you now for next week's race at, at Phoenix?
6: I'm fired up. Let's go.
3: Okay, Jeff. You called the race from your vantage point. I mean, did that incident show up on your radar while calling the race? What was your take?
1: Well, uh, Eric made those comments that he made, and we heard him. You know, we heard his in-car radio. Uh, you know, listen, I'm going to say this to the fans. You know, a lot of people got on Eric Amarola. You know, you're supposed to be racing. I get it. But, you know, when you're in that seat and you're trying to get to Miami to win a championship, something you dreamed about your whole life, and you feel like somebody could have cut you some slack, it makes you mad, right? You say things you don't necessarily mean. The problem that Joey Logano had right here is I don't think he really had a whole lot of options. Like, yes, he could have lifted early. And let the 10 car go. That would have been an option. And at Eric's point, I talked to Eric today a little bit, a bit about it. Was that you know he feels like the Fords have done a really good job of working together. Uh, there's a, a lot of you know effort to try to work together as Fords, and he feels like Joey could have done a little bit better job in that situation. And uh, so he was a little perturbed about that. Uh, but at the same time, he you know after the you know after some of the emotion went out of it, I don't think he was quite as upset today as he was yesterday. Uh, Eric isn't expecting someone not to race him, and Eric's not expecting, you know, to have somebody just give him a chance to go to Miami with a chance to win a championship. He just was thinking that with the Ford relationship, maybe cut him a little slack. In Joey's defense, you know, if, if just for one minute, if, if he slows down, right, and lets the 10 go, now he's on the door of another Ford, which is Kyle Busch. How do you win? You know, there's times you can't win, and I also feel like uh, for some reason, there's been a, a piling on with Joey Logano. You know, there's, you know, Joey is this, Joey's that. Uh, I watch Joey race. I don't have any issues at all with the way Joey races. I think he's a, a clean racer. He's a hard racer, but I don't really have any problems with him. Uh, we can debate Martinsville, you know, till, you know, f- for a year if we wanted to, Nate. But, you know, at the end of the day, Joey is going to race hard. He's going to give 100%. And I don't think you can blame him for that. And, I, and also, you know, Eric's perspective is different than Joey's. So two different points of views. Uh, but Eric's not Eric's not the kind of guy that's expecting people just to move over and let him go. He just thought in that situation with a relationship with Ford, a little bit of courtesy would have gone a long way.
4: Yeah, I'll go back to the discussion we had here last week with Kyle Petty, Krista, about that. I think in the case of Joey Logano, you're talking about a guy who I think is still paying for the alleged sins. That he committed years ago when he first came into cup in 2009 2010 when you had a lot of veterans such as kevin harvick and ryan newman tony stewart who i don't think appreciated the way that this young, at the time he comes in when he's 18 years old, teenager, you know, races against the veterans. I I think they thought he should have showed more deference. And Joey Logano, to his credit, has always been consistent about the way he races, that he's a hard racer. He showed it at Martinsville. He showed it many other times that this is the way I'm going to be. And I think for whatever reason, the die has been cast on that. And I don't know if people were ever really going to get past that. What I think is really interesting, Jeff, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this Eric's comments on the radio about the fact that he saw this through the prism of the championship, where Joey Logano already has a win, and therefore maybe he should cut Eric some slack. I think we heard that also three years ago with when Joey Logano spun Kenseth at Kansas Speedway, and a lot of people felt, well, he already had a win. Why is he racing him so hard? do you think that's the right takeaway or do you think like that veterans somehow because the championship structure is the way it is now and you can get a win and then have two more races in a round and not have your finishes impact you as much is that affecting how guys are racing
1: well nate i won 21 races and i wanted to win 80 (laughs) and and you know i i don't i don't uh i don't i'm never gonna fault a guy for going and doing his best to win a race these races are hard to win uh they're cherished they are It's a rarity to win a cup race. It's that hard. How many people can say they've won a cup race? And you never know when your last one is there. So, you know, I get it. The playoffs have changed the rules. This is the same conversation in a different way that we had last week, right? This playoff situation has changed the rules. We didn't really have this conversation 10 years ago with the point system the way it was 15 years ago. But today, you win and you move on then some people are like, well, you're not going to gain anything from it. And in this round, you don't necessarily gain anything from it. But um, I just, I, I know how much, how hard it is to win a race. And and if you understand that and you've lived it and you've breathed it and all those things, when you see it, man, you got to go get it. And I just, I'm not ever going to fault somebody for racing hard trying to win one.
3: Changing the rules. I, this is a terrible analogy, but this is the one that came to mind, so I'm going <laughs> to share it with you guys. Okay, this is like... Uh, boarding a flight, especially in Charlotte on a Thursday, and you're going to a race city, everyone at that gate is going to be zone one. So everyone jumps up to get in line. I'd be perfectly happy just sitting in my seat, but now I have to jump up because everybody else is jumping up too. Right. <laughs> That's what's happening.
4: Playoff boarding. Terrible it's, it's analogy. different atmosphere. But
3: absolutely appropriate. All right, coming up, Chase Elliott finished sixth at Texas, but it wasn't enough to climb above the cut line. What's Chase and the nine teams mindset going into Phoenix? We'll hear from crew chief Alan Gustafson next. Welcome back. Chase Elliott has earned top 10 finishes in both races so far in the round of eight, but he still lost a lot of ground when it comes to the magic transfer spot. He is now 39 points back and will likely have to win at Phoenix in order to make the championship four. Dave Burns spent some time at Hendrick Motorsports today with crew chief Alan Gustafson.
5: Well, Krista, when you think about Texas Motor Speedway, you know there's like original Texas Motor Speedway, then there is old Texas Motor Speedway, now there's the new and i believe chase's uh moniker was genius status for someone who repaved it and made it the new texas motor speedway it just doesn't seem like it's gone your way since they did that
2: yeah sure hasn't so um we haven't quite figured out the uh new new texas so um i guess we're gonna crack at it again next year but uh didn't go as well as we wanted to but certainly had a solid day uh car didn't have the speed we needed but uh, executed a pretty good race and got okay result but uh Obviously, when you're trying to get to four, six is probably not good enough. He seemed pretty
5: circumspect about it. I mean, he kind of said given the bad weekend you'd had, again, uh, six wasn't that bad. Where was the speed mostly lost or the strategy or whatever on Sunday?
2: I thought the strategy was pretty sound. and I thought the pit stop execution was pretty sound. And I thought, you know, he executed a good race and just ultimately didn't have the pace in the car we needed to have. So um, I think we probably overachieved uh, with the six for the speed we had. Unfortunately, we just never quite
5: got it right now some hard work this winter for next spring's race uh moving on to phoenix uh you put yourself in a kind of a must-win situation now the good news is you try to win every weekend so That's what's right. the outlook going to phoenix
2: trying to win yep yep nothing's changed there so uh it's good it's a great place it's a place we've had some success at and uh it's a fun place to race so i think we'll uh i feel like we stack up a little better to the competition there than than say texas um so i'm um, excited about that and and uh, gonna do everything we can can promise you that uh, to get it through.
5: When we think of everything they've changed, I like to use the phrase newly imagined because they didn't repave it except where they dug it up. Uh, they didn't reconfigure it. So what do the engineers do and the simulation guys and girls do when that happens? Because they move the start-finish line so the acceleration points are going to be different. Restarts are so critical now in the series. What have they told you in terms of data that's coming your way so that you can sort of understand it even before you hit the track?
2: Yeah, certainly we had to make some decisions on our, our gear ratios and where we want to start and in the restart zone and what all that looks like. So we've we've done some simulation on that and try to understand it. And uh, you know, the pit road configuration is quite a bit different there in, in relationship to the track. Also, so um, we've got a vague understanding of what's going on, and I'm sure we'll do quite a bit of. Reconnaissance work when we get there to get more information so we can uh, have the right pitcher for Sunday.
5: When you think of racing that track, uh, where has the nine team stood in Chase in terms
2: of adaptability to it and, and how positive do you feel going into it? Good. Uh, we've run well there and uh, Chase is really good at the track and, and it's a track that we've had a lot of success with and at and, uh, and look forward to continuing it. So, you know, had a strong run in the spring. Obviously, that doesn't mean anything going back, but, you know, it certainly doesn't hurt. It's better than running 20th, you know, so ran, qualified third and ran third, and I thought we had a shot at it, just were too loose at the end of the race. So, unfortunately, the 4 and the 18 got past us, but uh, hopefully we can correct that this time. Got to be
5: up front, and Krista, they certainly were there. And maybe now, after all the changes, Chase can assign genius status and really mean it after Sunday.
3: Well, we always assign genius status to Dave. Uh, you heard Dave reference something Chase said following the Texas race, that genius status. Let's revisit what the driver said in the media center. Yeah, I mean,
1: just Chase, it, it looked like it was really hard to pass out there in general for everybody. I mean, it is, is, was it
0: as hard as it looked?
6: Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I don't know what genius decided to pay this place or take the banking out on one and two, but uh, not a good move for the for the entertainment factor, in my opinion.
3: All right, let's dive into this one. Jeff, you made the comment on the pre-race show yesterday that, in your opinion, Texas is the toughest mile-and-a-half track on the schedule. Seems like Chase may feel that way, too. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, Chase needs to back up just a minute and remember why they paved the racetrack. They didn't want to pave it. They had to pave it because when it would rain, so much water would come out from underneath it, you couldn't have an event. They had to cancel an event. Uh, We had practice canceled. We had qualifying canceled. Uh, the track had to be repaired. Now, the part about taking banking out of one and two, uh, I get it. That's a, that is a debatable issue. Uh, you know, but making the racetrack more difficult to drive, uh, you know, I hear a lot of drivers say the more difficult it is, the more opportunities to pass. The more difficult it is, uh, they want it more difficult because the more difficult it is, the better it is for them as a particular driver. So, you know, I don't know. It's easy to be critical of the racetrack uh, when you make a change like this. But, you know, to me, Nate, uh, it's a repave. And repaves historically do not do a good job of putting on good races. There was a major effort put in here and at Kentucky uh, with the repave and how they paved it, uh, the type of asphalt that they used, how the aggregate is in there. Uh, They changed the banking at at Kentucky, one end of the racetrack versus the other, trying to do something uh, to make it so it comes in quicker. So I don't blame the racetracks for trying to make the racetrack better. Uh, you know, we'll have to see long-term after it gets worn out, after the pavement wears out, uh, if it ultimately is better or not. But, you know, repaves are just a huge challenge.
4: Right, Jeff. and We've heard drivers complain a lot after repaves that, hey, they drive too fast. It's like a video game. They need to be more challenging. You need to look at different brands of asphalt you're using. And, you know, to your point, you're right. I mean, Texas Motor Speedway was trying in turns one and two, and maybe this is the law of good intentions here, but they were trying to make it more difficult in order to engender more action and more passing in the race Sunday because they felt as if, hey, we've got to repave. We know what drivers say; it's really hard to pass when you've got one-lane race tracks after repaves. Let's try to mix it up a little bit. And I thought, you know, our, Carl, our uh, colleague Dale Arnold Jr. had a real interesting position on this as well. He put up a tweet today saying that uh you could argue that the reconfiguration of turn one and two was the only reason (laughs) there was any passing yesterday which I, I think he's right I mean I think you could make a case that yes was it exactly how drivers wanted uh perhaps not but perhaps it at least made it so it wasn't one lane all the way around at least it made things a little bit more interesting in one section of the racetrack and allowed for cars to have some comers and goers there and again you know to your point Jeff like I don't know how much the tracks can consult drivers on every little detail. I think they just have to take their comments in general that, hey, we want these tracks to be harder to drive and you know, after a repave and then try to go from
1: there. Well, drivers are no different than any other group of people. And you can put 20 drivers in a room and you're right. going to get 20 opinions. So, I, I, you know, I, I don't know how you come to the conclusion of, you know, how you design a racetrack, uh, but I do know uh, one thing repaves and mile and a half have created the car we're going to see next year, right? I mean, that's really what we're talking about here. You know, NASCAR has come out with a whole new car designed for next year because of this conversation about what do you do with mile and a half and what do you do with repave. So, again, I am I, I find it difficult for the, for the tracks to take a mile-and-a-half and make it so everybody likes it unless it's 30-year-old asphalt. I don't know how else they do it, uh, so I am not going to – Get on atlanta i'm not gonna get on kentucky for trying to do something different to make the races better
3: what is engender engender is, is that the word what does engender mean
1: create more
4: okay i just I want to, i write every
3: time i sorry. feel like every time jeff do you do this every time you're on a show with nate i didn't think that was you that, have that to, hard a word i know i
1: <laughs> sorry i was well, stuck so on know, aggregate come on you know we you know remember the show the show we did last year at bristol we actually had an xfinity practice yeah and nate came into the <laughs> booth and we stopped the practice and said okay we're gonna do a new show Big words with Nate. Yep. And we just made word, Nate give us words that none of us knew. Start a whole new episode in NASCAR America. I keep pitching that that's the answer to rating success. I love just it.
3: Kidding. I have <laughs> a book. I actually have a book that uh, is my resource for Nate. But I had to write the engender. So that's the word of the day. Engender. Engender. Okay. To create. To create. Something along those lines. All right. Yes. Now we know. All right. From one Hendrick driver to another. Coming up, Jimmy Johnson's day at Texas started by being sent to the back. The only problem is that he shouldn't have been. We'll explain what happened and how NASCAR responded to the situation. Welcome back. On Sunday, Jimmy Johnson finished 15th at Texas. His day, however, started out in bizarre fashion. After passing pre-race technical inspection on his third attempt, Johnson thought he was going to start the race where he qualified. That would be 23rd position. However, Johnson was sent to the back of the field by NASCAR. The only problem was that he shouldn't have been. Only drivers who fail tech at least three times go to the back. So this one gets interesting, and we're going to take a look at the timeline of Sunday's events. Kind of walk us through some of this, Nate. Yeah, so at
4: 140 Eastern, Dustin Long, NBCSports.com, tweets that the 48 has passed inspection on its third attempt. So that would indicate after two failures, they've passed on the third attempt. And that should mean that they won't start the back. However, a little bit more than an hour later, NASCAR informed everybody over the team radio that the 48 would be going to the rear for its inspection failures. And the information we got was that it was because of failing twice. So something was amiss here.
3: So this is interesting because, yeah, Dustin tweeted. And then an hour later, it would say, tweeted that Johnson would go to the back. But then Chad can now saying he didn't get it the information until 90 minutes after pre-race tech. After meeting with Kanaus and members of Hendrick Motorsports, NASCAR Steve O'Donnell told the media that there was a communication breakdown between the inspection area and race control and that a mistake was made. That was something he also expressed on social media. And here we see uh, Steve O'Donnell and Jimmy Johnson talking about that.
4: Right. Jimmy Johnson tweeted about, hey, this was a tough day. And Steve o- O'Donnell tweeted back to him, and it wasn't acceptable, the penalty that you got, starting at the rear. He apologized in public, and Jimmy uh, thanked him for his, his honesty and the apology.
3: Yeah, appreciating that. But O'Donnell would then go on to offer further explanation today on Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. But first, Stuart Haas Racing co-owner Tony Stewart offered this take on the situation.
4: I still don't understand why we have to worry about failing three times. It's like you, you bring your car, you roll it through tech, you either pass or you don't. I don't know why we screw around and jack around with one, two, three times, and it's it's ridiculous. We've got to figure it out. It's got to make it simpler than this. It shouldn't be this difficult. So I, I, half the time you don't even know what the penalty is supposed to be, and, and I don't, I'm a car owner, and I don't know what the penalty is supposed to be. So as a fan, I don't know how the fans can keep up with it either, but it's, you know, it's... The, the first, if you start rolling cars through one time, and if they don't pass, they go to the back. I bet you there'd be a lot less cars fail tech the next week.
2: As We've said, you know, post race, uh, you know, unacceptable what happened. Uh, human error, um, those things happen. Uh, we know, but uh, those things you know can't happen when when, uh, when the stakes are that high. And and so uh, we've addressed that with the race team. Um, and apologize we, we could not go back and, and fix that mistake and I think we'll uh, certainly put uh, procedures in place prior to Phoenix to ensure that that just can't happen going forward there was just a failure in communication across the board and in, in the number of times and then what was communicated to the race director prior to the race and then once everybody realized uh, the mistake that was made the race had already started.
3: Okay, again, Tony Stewart's comments were from yesterday at the racetrack. That was Steve O'Donnell this morning um, on the radio. Nate, a communication failure. Can this be fixed and how?
4: Yeah, I think it can be, Krista, because it wasn't quite a communications failure. I mean, NASCAR has been somewhat reluctant to provide full details on how the mistake occurred. But we do know that in the garage... It was known that Jimmy Johnson's car had passed on the third attempt, and that was never re- it was never relayed to the tower that Jimmy Johnson hadn't passed on the third attempt. Somehow someone in the tower presumed or assumed that there was a third failure, and that's why the number 48 should start at the back. It didn't come from the garage. Everybody in the garage, and as you saw the Dustin Long tweet, the, everybody in, down there in public knew that there, were, there shouldn't have been a penalty. So I think it's as simple as NASCAR putting procedures in place for Phoenix that we just heard Steve O'Donnell talking about, ensuring that the tower confirms the number of attempts that the car in question failed on. And if it's the third attempt, he goes back. But I think, like, they just need to make sure that that's coming from the infield because it didn't on Sunday, and that was the problem.
3: Jeff?
1: Well, clearly unacceptable. And, and uh, Steve O'Donnell took, took responsibility and said they are going to fix it uh, these are the kind of things that, you know, when they do happen, uh, there's only one thing you can do, and that's going cool. to make sure it doesn't happen again. It also gives you a chance to review other things as well, uh, not just this one incident, but I'm sure it will open up uh, an internal investigation of how to make sure that no other issues like this could pop up. Um, you know, but, but it, is, it is truly unacceptable. It, it, it should not happen. There should be checks and balances in place. Uh, but once it did happen and the race started, there's no fixing it. Like there is no fixing it. It's not something you can take back. And I will credit NASCAR for not trying. Because uh, one of the things I think that that they did wrong in the past, I thought you know really hurt the sport, was a mistake was made. Uh, they made a ruling. It wasn't, it wasn't their fault. And then they tried to fix something that another team did, putting Jeff Gordon in the in the uh, playoffs. Uh, I thought years ago, I thought that was a major mistake that NASCAR made. And in this case, they didn't try to overreach and say, okay, we messed up, we got to fix it right now. There was no way to fix it. Uh, you know, so I'm glad they didn't overreach after they made a mistake, and I'm even more glad that they came out and they said, hey, we messed up, and we got to fix it, and took full responsibility.
4: Yeah, I, I think people were appreciative that NASCAR did admit full culpability, even though they couldn't fix it. And the one thing I think, silver lining, if there possibly could be one, is this wasn't a playoff car. This wasn't a car that had its chances diminished. Uh, of reaching the championship four-round, thankfully, or you know, however you want to look at it. it, maybe not thankfully, but the number 48 was no longer in playoff contention, and that was a good thing in a way.
3: Culpability, add that to your list. <laughs> I'm keeping track, that's a Thanks. good one too. I,
1: I appreciate it.
4: Jeff,
3: you're writing these down, right?
1: No, can't
4: spell. Okay. all right,
3: don't <laughs> worry, I've got gotcha. you, I've got gotcha you covered. <laughs> Coming up, we're going <laughs> to recap the exciting Xfinity Series race. A new 2018 winner was crowned, and it just may be the win. The changes the championship will explain.
2: Kevin Harvick looking for his eighth win of 2018. And more importantly, a secured spot in the championship for another chance at a championship. Harvick wins in Texas. Shane Papala, I changed front
6: tires on the 4 Mobile 1 Ford for Stewart Haas Racing. Uh, today was a great day. We executed as a team and now we're going to Homestead with a shot to win the championship. I couldn't be more happy and more proud of our team today. We did an amazing job. So hopefully we'll continue this momentum and take us through Phoenix and Homestead. I can't wait.
3: Shane Papala and the four crew from Stuart Haas Racing did their part in contributing to a dominant drive for Kevin Harvick on Sunday at Texas Motor Speedway. The crew put Harvick in the lead for the first time during the lap 30 competition caution. Harvick went on to lead a race high 177 laps before winning in overtime. Stuart Haas is also racing for the Xfinity Series title with Cole Custer. The Xfinity playoffs resumed on Saturday. Lap one, Christopher Bell, the pole sitter, spins in turn two, Jeff.
1: Yeah, we were before the race, we were talking about this can't happen two weeks in a row, right? This was almost a replay of what happened the first, the, you know, last race, the Xfinity race, just not Christopher Bell the first time.
3: Well, with 67 to go, Nate, Austin Sindrick gets into Bell, and Bell's day ends in the wall.
1: Yeah, really tough day for Christopher Bell, who
4: a lot, I think a lot of people had as the championship favorite going into the playoffs this year, Kristen.
3: All right, so Christopher Bell out. Fellow playoff contender Daniel Hemrick, uh, who's really had some momentum, but he had some similar issues. This is with six to go, Jeff.
1: Yeah, something we saw a lot of car on the bottom of another car. Just could not hold the line. Uh, His teammate actually getting in the side of him, spinning him out. Uh, They had quite a battle down the back straightaway between the three teammates. Ended up with with those
6: guys spinning.
3: Well, this sets up the final restart. It's Cole Custer. He's a playoff driver. Tyler Reddick in the nine, another playoff driver. They bump and bang a little bit. Custer takes the lead and goes on to win his first win of the season. He's moving on to the championship four and in victory lane. Custer had someone to thank.
5: Who did you study, or what did you study to be so good at this place? Honestly, I studied Kevin. I,
6: uh, he had an in-car last time here for the first race, and we actually switched to kind of what he had for a setup,
4: and I was able to kind of, I probably don't do as good as he does, but he uh, I definitely try to do my best Kevin Harper impression, trying to back the corner up and get it on the line. So uh, definitely worked out, and I just can't thank everybody enough for giving me a good car.
3: I'd say that's a good person to to follow. Cole Custer becomes the first to lock into the Xfinity Series Championship Four. As for junior motorsports, Tyler Reddick and Elliott Sadler hold two of the three remaining spots in Miami, while regular season champ Justin Allgaier is currently the first driver out. For more on the state of Dale Jr's team, here's a very busy Dave Burns.
5: So Krista, the view from the very busy Junior Motorsport shop is of course two drivers above, one driver below the cut line, but there shouldn't be really cause for concern as they head to Phoenix. Obviously the math is a little bit tough, seven drivers going for the three remaining spots, but as far as speed and competitiveness goes, Junior Motorsports is where they need to be. So let's start with Justin Allgaier. Even though he's only got two finishes of 15th or better in the last five races, remember it wasn't long ago that he was in the discussion of the big two in the Xfinity series, his five wins sharing that spotlight with Christopher Bell in the series. And think about what he's done this year in terms of restarts. He's been rapid, Randy. Think what he did at Texas in the outside lane. Really something he's improved on in his game he's a former Phoenix winner, and in March, remember that he sat on the pole, led the most laps, and finished second. Next is Elliot Sadler. Like Allgaier, a former Phoenix winner, who in 2018 has 24 top 10 finishes. That's tied for the series most, and consistency is certainly something we expect from Elliot Sadler. And a top 10 at Phoenix, well that may be just enough to point his way to Miami. I think what he did in March, he started in the back of the field because of an engine change, and he drove to, yes, yet another top 10. And of course, there's always the sentimental factor with Elliott, his final race in the Xfinity Series at Phoenix. He's hoping it'll be a good one. And finally, Tyler Reddick. He has the most points of the three and may be the most dangerous. Here's why. Remember, he's already announced his 2019 plans, and they don't include junior motorsports. That means there's only one more thing for him to do here. Go ahead and win the championship. In March at Phoenix, he started in a backup car and raced his way all the way into the top 10. Last week at Texas, he showed how hard he would race, even though he didn't win, to almost take a victory from Cole Custer on that last lap battle that reminded us of the 1979 Daytona 500, it did me anyway, Allison versus Yarbrough. I think Reddick is a strong contender for a win at Phoenix, and that will take him through to be in the championship four at Miami. Three more drivers are rising in Phoenix, Krista, and they could all come from this organization.
3: Mm, well said. I'm going to go off script here for a minute. Dave Burns rocking the vest. Rutledge was wearing the vest this weekend. Will we ever see Nate Ryan in the vest?
4: I, I have a vest. You could do a like, vest? Just like Dave's, I think. Okay. Somewhere in my closet. See,
3: uh, you just don't know, Jeff, where this show's going to go. I can just steer it anywhere. You anyway. never know. I know. Okay, <laughs> let's know. let's get back to the racing. Nate, this championship picture in the Xfinity Series, the landscape has completely changed with this Cole Custer win. Yeah,
4: 180 degrees. And I think Cole Custer now becomes the favorite. To, to win this championship, and Tony Stewart, uh, his co-car owner, said as much last night after Kevin Harvick's win. He mentioned that last year, and Cole Custer dominated the race at Homestead-Miami Speedway, led the most laps, won the race, didn't win the championship because he had just missed advancing to the championship four by a few points. Now this year, Jeff, he's in, and as well as he ran at Homestead-Miami Speedway last year, and coming off the minimum of this victory, I think he's a serious title contender.
1: Yeah, that that race he won last year at Homestead, that was perhaps the most dominating race that I watched all year long. It was ridiculous how much faster he was. You know, one thing that I think is very unique about the Xfinity Series is I think because of, you know, you don't have as many really good cars in the Xfinity Series as you do in the Cubs Series, it's harder to make up points. So when you go to Phoenix and you're 12, 14, 16 points behind, you got your work cut out for you. That's going to be really, really difficult to do. Uh, It is very close uh, it's going to be really fun to watch and see how aggressive people are going to be. Uh, but it's, it's going to be hard to make up these points for these guys that are
3: behind. So, Jeff, do you agree with Nate? Is Cole Custer, no matter who advances after Phoenix, is Cole Custer the favorite now for the championship?
1: So I think he is. I, I think that, you know, because of his homestead performance. Uh, but I'm going to tell you the car that consistently is showing speed right now is, is Daniel Hemrick. Uh, and when you talk about Daniel Hemrick, he's sitting there in fourth. Would you be surprised, Nate, if Christopher Bell went and won this weekend or Justin Allgaier went and won this weekend? It wouldn't surprise me one bit if Christopher Bell raced himself in uh, and, and won that race to go to Miami. And If he does, now look at the point battle that you've got <laughs> going on. So uh, I don't think anybody can rest uh, going into Phoenix. I don't think it's, it's just not going to be that easy for anybody.
4: Yeah, I think we all thought Christopher Bell and Justin Allgaier were going to ba- battle this out at Homestead Miami Speedway. I think Jeff's right. We heard a confident Christopher Bell at Texas despite those crashes. I think he could win Phoenix, and if he gets through the homestead Miami, then who knows?
3: Plenty of reasons to watch this weekend, that's for sure. Coming up, we're going to look ahead to that elimination Sunday and Saturday at Phoenix, where renovations and a new start-finish line location will be in the spotlight. Stay tuned.
0: NASCAR America is brought to you by Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for 20,000 miles. I'm racing for my name for winning another championship for our team.
1: You have the opportunity to advance to the championship round. There's
0: really no protocol. You go for it. Why will the 14 team win the championship? Um, man, why not?
3: The race to Miami travels through the desert. It's the last chance to make the championship four. Coverage from Phoenix begins Friday on NBCSN, leading to two elimination races on NBC, the Xfinity Series on Saturday, and the Monster Energy Cup Series on Sunday. Jeff, all the rest of this week, we're going to be talking about the changes made to that track. As a driver, what would concern you most about the new-look Phoenix?
1: Yeah, I think Alan Gustin, he was talking about it, you know, the, the restarts. Uh, where you are uh, when you're approaching the the restart zone is in a very unique situation. Some of the teams uh, are going to be in the corner. So how can you see the guys in front of you where the restart zone is? How can you accelerate when you're in the corner uh, versus being on a straightaway? And then what happens after you pass the start-finish line? We know that dog led on the back straightaway, you can cut that short. So once you get past the start-finish line, you can go wherever you want to go. So... All those things, restart specific, the racetrack itself hasn't changed. The start-finish line has changed. Uh, the other thing, when they changed Darlington, and by the way, I still do this now, Nate. I hate to admit it. Um, I still today call what is now turn one, turn three, because <laughs> they flopped the racetrack. And there's, there's times on the broadcast, turn Oh, oh, I'm sorry, turn one. And they did that years ago. So we're going to have a money jar this week. Uh-oh. And every time somebody calls a corner wrong, we're going to have to put a dollar in it, Krista, and a that dollar. dollar will go to some form of charity. Oh, okay, you can there. pick it. I'm in. I like that. Yeah, that's charity is going point. to do really well this weekend.
3: I like that. That's I think, a great idea.
4: I think you could also have the dollar jar for the number of times that guys below the cut line get asked, would you cut the dog leg mm-hmm. if you're running second <laughs> and within range of the leader on the last lap? Because I think that's going to be... A big topic of discussion.
3: Well, and it's gonna be a topic of discussion all week as we get ready for Phoenix. But no question. I love your idea. Money jar. We're gonna engender it. Is that even close to right? <laughs> no, not, not even yeah. close. Not even close. <laughs> for charity, it's a it's a it's a no it's a great idea. You just can't lose on that. So that's it for NASCAR America. For all of your NASCAR news, log on to nbcsports.com NASCAR. We're gonna be back Tuesday back at five PM Eastern. We'll have Scanall, Texas, and we'll get you ready for Phoenix. Thanks for watching. Have a great night.